We've all been there. You have a question about your credit card, you call the number for help and can't get a hold of anyone if you only had a Discover card. With 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. A real person. Get the customer service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This is episode number 1108 with Dr. Andrew Wild. Welcome to the School of Greatness. My name is Lewis Howes, a former pro athlete turned lifestyle entrepreneur. And each week we bring you an inspiring person or message to help you discover how to unlock your inner greatness. Thanks for spending some time with me today. Now let the class begin. Bethany Frankel said, your diet is a bank account. Good food choices are good investments. And Caroline Mace said, what drains your spirit drains your body. What fuels your spirit fuels your body. My guest today is the inspirational Dr. Andrew Weil, who is an internationally recognized expert on medicinal plants, alternative medicine, and the reform of medical education. He is the founder and director of the Andrew Weil Center for Integrative Medicine, the founder and chairman of the Weil Foundation, and the founder of Healthy Lifestyle Brands. He is also the co-founder and matcha curator for the rapidly growing matcha.com, whose mission is is to import the highest quality and best tasting matcha from Japan. And in this episode, we discuss the most important factors in living over 100 years old, the relationship between the mind and the body, the foods you should eat for increased brain function and to live longer, how stress in our relationships can affect our health, the biggest misunderstandings about inflammation in the body, and so much more. I'm so excited about this one. If you enjoy this at any moment, make sure to share this with someone that you think would be inspired by this as well. Just copy and paste the link wherever you're listening to this, or you can use lewishouse.com slash 1108 and text it to a few friends, post it on social media, and make sure to tag me over on Instagram or social media as well, at lewishouse. Okay, in just a moment, the one and only Dr. Andrew Weil. Expensify knows how valuable your time is. That's why they make it easy for you to manage your expenses, bills, invoices, travel, and corporate card spend all in one place so you can focus your time elsewhere. Expensify helps you get paid back. In other words, they're made for you because you weren't born to do expenses. With Expensify, you can get reimbursed as soon as the next day. Expensify is the most widely used expense management platform in the world with over 10 million users. They're built for the small business, but strong enough to support the complexity that might be needed for companies of all sizes. Get rid of all the paper. Admins, use Expensify to digitally manage your company's money so you never forget a receipt, bill, or invoice again. Managing employee expenses is easier than ever with the Expensify card. Visit Expensify.com greatness to get started with a free trial. That's E-X-P-E-N-S-I-F-Y dot com slash greatness. Welcome back, everyone, to the School of Greatness podcast. Very excited about our guest, the legendary Dr. Andrew Weil in the house. Good to see Hiya. you, sir. Good to see you. Very excited. You've been doing integrative nutrition and, and I guess, integrative functional medicine for a Not long time. Not functional medicine. Functional is more. That's functional different. is <laughs> actual medicine like pills, right? Fun- yeah, functional. functional is a lot of biochemistry and stuff. Integrative medicine it's the is. Whole, it's the whole picture, you know. Everything else. Mind, body, body connection. spiritual. Gotcha. All, Okay. Um, 
And you got it in this in the 70s. Yes. Well, uh, I studied botany as an undergraduate. Wow. And uh, got really interested in ethnobotany and uh, native plants. I did a lot of traveling in South America looking at uh, uh, medicinal plants, psychoactive plants. Then I went to medical school, um, got very disillusioned with what I had learned. Uh, At medical school. Yeah. I mean, I, I learned nothing about health or healing. Uh, you know, and I, the methods that I was taught, I saw do too much harm. So when I finished my clinical training, this was 1969, I just decided I didn't want to learn anymore. That I, that was, I wanted to learn how to keep people well. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I didn't know how to do that. So I found ways to travel around the world, look at healing practices in other cultures, um, gradually put together my own system that I first called natural and preventive medicine, then I came to call integrative medicine. And then uh, my car broke down in Tucson, Arizona, (laughs) and uh, I ended up living in this remote canyon, and I started writing about, you know, what I'd seen. uh, In Tucson? Outside of Tucson, Uh yeah. And then... uh, Wait, so your car broke down (laughs) and you stayed? I stayed. It took six weeks to get fixed. Really? It was an English Land Rover that I had driven to South America without incident. Uh, but when I got it back here, I didn't get parts for it. And uh, so anyway, the, it was February of a warm, wet year. The desert was in full bloom, and I never left. Uh, and then wow. the University of Arizona found out I was there, and they asked me to start giving lectures to medical students, uh, first about marijuana, because I had done the first human experiments with, with uh, marijuana in 1968. And uh, then about other... Well, people were experimenting with it before Yeah, but nobody knew, you know, in the medical world, there was nobody who knew anything about it. Gotcha. Um, And then uh, I started giving lectures on alternative medicine. Nobody even knew what that was in those days. And uh, What is alternative medicine? Well, it was things like other systems like Chinese medicine and chiropractic and osteopathy Uh and naturopathy and and all that. You know, people in the world of medicine didn't know anything about that. Really? No, they didn't even know they existed. So uh, I had also, uh, I was really always interested in how the mind and body interacted. I studied uh, medical hypnosis uh, at Columbia University, which was fascinating. What is medical hypnosis? It's like using hypnosis, using a suggestive state to access healing in the body, and it has incredible potential. Uh, you know, I, I watched a film of someone having a cesarean delivery with no anesthesia except hypnosis. Uh, I, you know, you can a C-section, a C-section, cut open, cut open, no medicine. Mm-hmm. No injections. No, she was told to sing "Row, Row, Row Your Boat," and she was wide awake. Well, they and cut her open. No pain. I mean, that's just an example. You can right. take a good hypnotic subject and touch them with a finger and say it's a piece of red hot metal, and they get a blister, a real blister. Uh, so you know that's an example of you know how the mind and body interact, and you can take advantage of that to access healing. So I was, you know, all this. I all put all this together into this system of integrative medicine. Anyway, patients started showing up at my doorstep, and it was not an easy doorstep to get to. I lived in this. <laughs> Let me tell you. I kept you. hearing about this guy yeah, somewhere my, in the middle of Arizona. And, uh, you know, I, I began seeing really interesting people, and I, I refined my system. And through the 1980s, uh, I got a larger and larger following in the general public, but none of my medical colleagues paid any attention to me. They didn't. They didn't respect you or trust you or think you were credible. Nothing. They just off the wall. Yeah. And there was a 
period in the late 1970s, there was a holistic medical movement in this country. And I remember in Arizona, there was a Southern Arizona Holistic Medical Society, and it was nurses, psychologists, social workers, not one single physician, you know, mm. joined it. So that's the way it was in those days. Anyway, that changed around in the early 1990s. Um, uh, my best friend from Harvard Medical School, who was a cardiologist, was named Chief of Medicine at the University of Arizona College of Medicine, and he came with a new dean. Uh, they both came from the University of Massachusetts, and when they got here, he, I had dinner with him, and he said, well, now you have friends in high places. What do you want to do? And I said, well, I want to change all of medicine. So he said, how do you want to do that? And I said, I'd like to start a residency in a field that I want to call integrative medicine. He said, let's talk to the dean. So the dean said, you can't start a residency in a field that doesn't exist. <laughs> <laughs> he said, why don't you back up a step and think about creating a fellowship, which is how, you know, what people do after residency uh -huh. to specialize. And he said, then you wouldn't be accused of tampering with unformed minds. Wow. So anyway, he gave me a green light, no money, but, you know, I was given a... A, a, actually, it was a glorified broom closet in a trailer in the parking lot behind the College of Medicine, and I had one assistant, and uh, th this was, uh, you know, around 1990, and uh, I put a think tank together. We met at Canyon Ranch in Tucson, and we hammered out a basic curriculum mm -hmm. and then advertised for people to come, and we got four physicians who took a big risk to come to Tucson for two years wow. and do this fellowship in this field that didn't exist that covered all the things that doctors should learn but don't, like nutrition and mind-body interactions mm -hmm. and herbal medicine and the strength and breath of weakness work and, and breath, yeah. every, all of it. Yeah. And, um, you know, we began training four people a year, and the main criticism I got was how possibly you're going to change anything by training four people a year. But over the years, we graduated about 35 people from this, and some of them are now in very powerful positions in academic medicine. But more importantly, we got to refine the curriculum and then translate it to a distance learning format. Mm. Um, and now we have graduated over 2,000 physicians from wow. this very intensive training. And we also have a shorter curriculum that's in 80 or 90 residency programs throughout the world. Uh, and, wow. you know, it's really becoming, we're really influencing people now. Wow. And we've trained people in every specialty, all ages. <laughs> so the goal is one day, you know, whether you go to a dermatologist or a psychiatrist or a gastroenterologist, that person will have learned the basics of nutrition right. and mind-body medicine and will know what Chinese medicine is good for and, you know, all the rest that they yeah. should know. It seems like there's been a movement, especially over the last five years, that I've seen many doctors leaving the, I guess, what do we call the functional practice, yep. the traditional practice, then yep. functional medicine, yep. leaving their practices because they're realizing it's not working. You know, it's just, not working, and they're really unhappy. You know, when I was in unhappy. medical school, medicine looked like a very desirable profession. Uh, one of the one of the things it promised was autonomy. You could be your own boss. Mm -hmm. Well, that's all gone out the window. You know, you, you have to work for somebody these days. You have to work for right. a corporation that right. tells you how to do it. And and, and, what, and what pills to use. And, yes, yeah. you have no autonomy anymore. And the all the satisfaction of a doctor-patient relationship has disappeared. You know, if you've got eight minutes to see a patient, it's unlikely that you can form that kind of therapeutic relationship. Yes, and as you say, a lot of it's not working. And the... Uh, you know, I could go on at great length about this, but the, the, yeah. our so-called healthcare system is a total mess. You know, right. we are we spend more per capita than any other country in the world on on healthcare. You know, by a long shot, 
uh, if you look at a bar graph of NATO nations per capita expenditures on health, we're off the chart. And at the same time, we have worse health outcomes than any developed country. The, the World Health Organization <clears throat> rates us 38th on a par with Serbia, and that's any way you look at it. It's infant mortality, longevity, rates of chronic yeah. disease, something is what's wrong with this picture. You know, and the a problem is we've got these epidemics of lifestyle-related diseases that conventional medicine doesn't work for, as you say. Mm -hmm. And we're trying to deal with that all in the same way, mostly by giving, me you know, medications. A pill, right. What's the, in your experience, it's been 50 years now you've been working on this? Yeah. 50, roughly 50 yeah. years. What's been the common theme for the root of most pain that people have? Well, I is it have lifestyle? To... Is it food? Is it relationships? Is it lack of I sleep? I have to say that in, in my clinical experience, uh, more often than not, I find the root causes of problems to be in not in the physical body, but more in the mental, emotional, mm. or spiritual. The holding on to anger, whatever. I mean, fear. it's often unconscious stuff, you know. But it, but it's it's unless you work in that area, if you just deal with the physical body, it doesn't solve it. It's superficial. Yeah, superficial. Really. I mean, if you just look at look at pain. Are you familiar with John Sarno's work? That no. he wrote. Uh, he was he's passed about a couple years ago. He was a rehab medicine specialist in New York and a healer. And he has a, one book called Healing Back Pain, another called Mind Over Back Pain. And he mm. taught that almost all back pain is of psychological origin. That's not to say it's not real, but he, you know that the problem is it's, it's um, spasms of small muscles that cut off blood supply and it becomes a vicious cycle in which the contraction of muscles further, you know, cuts off blood supply. But the origin of this problem is in the mental compartment. And uh, he, he used to require that people who came to him go to two evening lectures he gave in, a, in one week. A great many people who did that, their pain disappeared forever. What was that the thing they realized? It's, it's just hearing it this message from this guy that it was not in their back. Right. Uh, anyway, I, I, and, and you know, the, this goes along with the fact that you can look at x-rays and scans of people's backs and they look so horrible, you can't believe that this person could move and they have no symptoms. And you can look at other ones that look terrific and Straight the people and are I crippled by pain. Really? So there's no correlation between objective findings and subjective experience, which, which goes along with his theory. Anyway, I'm, this is just my observation yeah. is that more, you know, and this is the, I think one of the great limitations of conventional medicine is it's only focused on the physical body. And it does not, it ignores this whole other realm. Yeah, I, I interviewed, I don't know if you know Dr. Lisa Rankin. I interviewed her years ago, maybe six, seven years ago, where she had more of a traditional practice. Mm -hmm. And then I think she was taking seven or eight medications herself. Mm -hmm. She was unhappy, sick. And then she started healing her relationship. Uh, she started, you know, healing other things in her life. And she realized she didn't need as much medication. Right. And then she started kind of doing talk therapy in a little bit where she would say to her patients, well, why don't you go, you know, heal this with your partner or your husband or yeah. whoever, and then the pain started to go yeah. away for these individuals. She realized, and other doctors have done this yeah. as well, you know, they realized, okay, just prescribing medicine isn't the and solution. And it's not just pain. I, I, I've written a lot of these cases up in my book. I'll tell you just two yeah. stories. Uh, and this one caught my attention because they both, I saw these two women both at the same time. There were two women uh, both in their, I think they were late 30s, early 40s, who had very severe uh, systemic lupus. 
you know, a major autoimmune disease. Okay. Uh, what does lupus create? What is that? Is that well? It 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 can affect any system of the body, but usually there's joint involvement. And there's usually arthritis, skin uh-huh. problems, like eczema type problems, or rashes. yeah. But this is a severe one. It's okay. not just the surface of the body; it goes in internally. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah. So one one of the one woman had a had brain involvement and was psychotic as a result of this, and the other woman had her kidneys were involved, and she was near death in the hospital. So the first woman, the one with the brain involvement, had a religious conversion to some variety of fundamentalist Christianity in the hospital. And the other woman (laughs) fell in love and subsequently got married. And both of them, the disease disappeared. And I often say, you know, I can't always arrange for my patients to have religious conversions or fall in love. (laughs) But to see that, just to know that that's possible, you know, then you want to sort of find some way to flip that switch. And, and the switch is in the mind. It's not in the body. If people believed in a higher power yeah. and, and felt loved, yeah. you think that would help with a lot of people? I think it would help a lot. <laughs> yeah. I think it would help a lot. Is it, the, is it the fear in the mind, the loneliness, the anxiety, the stress that causes the tension in the could, back of the pain? Yeah, it could be all of that. And, and you know, what's, what Sarno's teaching was you just constantly re- tell yourself over and over, it's not my back and my back is fine. And he was actually opposed to any therapies directed at the back. You know, he said you shouldn't even do massage or acupuncture really? because it reinforces the illusion that the problem is there. Interesting. So it's only- just so interesting. I, I, I had one, I just also wrote this guy up. This was a friend of mine who was my age. He was in his late 30s at the time this happened. He was a basketball player. He was a professor at Princeton, uh, worked with drug policy, very bright guy, crippled by back pain, uh, had had injuries in sports. And he was within, literally within 24 hours of having neurosurgery. The neurosurgeon said they'd never seen a spine in such bad condition and, you know, the only option was surgery. And Wait, I neurosurgery told, in the brain? No, or? back, spine. Okay, in spine, the spine. Yeah, gotcha. the, the spinal nerves were being The nerves in the right. spine, gotcha. I told him to read Sarno's book. He said, this is bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, he was in New York. I said, why don't you go see him? And he said that this made no sense to him. This was completely silly. He had, you know, he'd seen these neurosurgeons and it was back. Anyway, he went, he heard, he saw him, told him to come to his evening lecture. Uh, he, he was laughing during the lecture. Really? That this was so silly. And he went home and was having dinner. And suddenly in the middle of dinner, realized his back pain was gone. <laughs> you know, amazing, this kind of stuff. Uh, is, it, is it more of the awareness Having the awareness that the, the pain is not in the back for that example, or is it the the information on how to continue to sh- transfer the, the, the mind? The tricky part is that the part of the mind that does this is the unconscious mind, and yeah. you can't directly access that. So, I don't know, you have to trick yourself in some way. How do we or, tap into the unconscious mind? Well, I mean, there are things you can do to make it more likely. You can meditate. You can... Uh, you know, you can do affirmations, you can do hypnosis, you can see somebody who is a healer. Mm-hmm. But I think it's, these are all ways of somehow getting around whatever that gap is between where you think and the part of the brain that connects to the body. What's been the biggest challenge you've faced in your body, the biggest pain you've had to overcome, and what was the practice you used to overcome it? You know, I had, um, well, I'll tell you, I, there, I've had, can give you many examples, but one was, this must be about 12 years ago, I had had um, meniscus pain in my right knee, and I'm not sure it was from, I can't relate it to any specific injury, but, you know, I've been very active, and 
you know, it would I'd have episodes where it got, got bad. I came to California on a business trip, and suddenly in the space of a few hours, the pain got so bad I couldn't walk. And I actually had to get in a wheelchair <laughs> to get back home to Tucson. And I saw, uh, you know, it subsided a bit. I went to see an orthopedist who x-rayed my knees. He said there was no cartilage left. Started talking about knee replacement. I had a, 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 a friend and colleague in New York who was a very good body worker um, that I'd seen and had been great. And I went to see him and he said, you know, this is all a matter of balance and weight and weight bearing. And he did some work on me. Vanished. Really? Vanished. You could walk fine after that. Yeah. And never had so a problem. So maybe you were leaning on one side too much. Who knows? Or I don't or... Something. One of my favorite parts about my job is that I get the opportunity to travel a lot. And in fact, I'm recording this right now while I'm in Mexico. And actually, I was thinking about something that I wanted to share because I get a lot of questions from so many people about different side hustle ideas. So here's one for those of you out there that are on the go a lot like I am or traveling a lot. When you're staying in your Airbnb on your trips, have you ever thought about how you could be making extra money by hosting through Airbnb while your home is vacant? If you're interested in an extra stream of income, Airbnb hosting is an easy place place to start and it's like giving your home some company while you're away. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. So listen, we all know life is full of yada yada, like those quote unquote free trials that somehow still charge your card for something or when companies have those sneaky gotchas hiding deep in the fine print. And I know you've dealt with yada yada before, like those bills that keep going up and up for no reason at all. Or when budget airlines promise a cheap fare, but then charge you for every little thing until you realize you're paying more than you would have somewhere else. And yes, it is possible to outsmart yada yada, like triple checking airline deals to make sure all you need is already included, but you don't take yada yada in life. So don't take yada yada from your wireless provider. Metro by T-Mobile has no contracts, no credit checks, no surprises, and nada yada yada. Stop by one of over 6,000 Metro stores nationwide. When you get a new car or a new home, your first reaction might be to say things like, oh yeah, or I can't believe it, or booyah. But what you really want to say is the one thing that can get you the help you need. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm is there with the coverage you need for your car, your home, and even boats, motorcycles, RVs, and other things that matter to you. With a State Farm agent, you know someone is there to help you choose the coverage you need. With so many coverage options, it feels good knowing you can find what fits for you. And when you need ways to get help, State Farm gives you options there too. Too, in person or on the phone with your local agent or on statefarm.com where their award-winning app State Farm lets you do things your way. So when you need help protecting the things that matter most, remember to say, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Something, but if I had... Uh... So the one doctor is saying you have no yeah. cartilage, you gotta right. you have surgery, right. otherwise you're gonna be able to walk. And, and maybe have... that's true, maybe I don't have cartilage, but, the, but you know, you can live with that and not have pain. Right. You look like you're in pretty. You look like you're jacked. Yeah, you're pretty, I'm not, not you're bad. pretty good shape, man. Not bad. What do you What do you attribute to staying so young physically? Again, I think it's really mental. You know, like hanging out with people that uh, make you feel alive. Really? I mean, I'm. You know, I'm. I'm reasonably active. I swim uh, every day. I have two big dogs that take me for walks. Uh, but I think it's like I don't know. I think it's an attitude and. Uh, you know, doing things that I'm, I'm engaged with and that I, you know, turn me on. And yeah. Have you done any that. surgeries? 
No, I had my tonsils out when I was really little. Yeah. And uh, no, nothing major. Wow. So that was one instance with the knee. Was there another? Oh, I, I can give you so I can give you so many things like that. I mean, some of these I've put in my books, uh, stories like this. But uh, you know, and when I, I I like to tell people about this because in my experience, most people do not have great confidence in their body's ability to repair itself. And I think this is where all good medicine starts: is with the, the body has incredible healing potential. Uh, and it's, I find it, you know, it's, it's easier to talk with kids about that than doctors. You know, when a kid gets an owie, you say, look what happens, you know, watch how your body heals that. And you can plant the seed of the idea that the body has a healing system. You know, it can repair itself. Mm. You know, most doctors think that's new age woo-woo. Really? <laughs> but it's not. I mean, it's like that the body has unbelievable capacity to adapt, to repair, to regenerate. Yeah, uh, and and I it feel one of my jobs as an integrative physician is to instill that kind of confidence in people to make them, you know, you don't have to run off to a practitioner, uh, you know, every time something goes wrong. When something goes wrong, what's to be the first thought we have? Physical pain. Uh, well, the you know you you really want to have a sense of when things are beyond your ability to deal with. You know when you really do need outside help. What is that? So look if you like? have if you have a symptom you've never had before, if you have a symptom that you've had before but it's more severe than anything you've had before, uh, you know then maybe it's worth <clears throat> checking to see what that's about. Right. Uh, but you know, as I say, I think it, it, people just don't have that kind of confidence. I remember once interviewing. Uh, for our fellowship, uh, a family medicine doctor, she was a, a native German, and she came to this country when she was a teenager, I think. And she said that growing up in Germany, that sh neither she nor her siblings nor any of her friends ever went to a doctor. Uh, she said, you don't go to a doctor in Germany unless there's something really wrong with you. That her parents, had a whole, yeah, yeah, yeah. her parents had a whole repertory of home remedies that worked. I mean, that's very different from what you see in our, in our right. part of the world. It's interesting, I grew up uh, in a religion called Christian Science. I'm not oh, sure, sure. Really okay. <laughs> great. And so I grew up in a, what you might consider a woo-woo way of thinking. Yeah, really, which right. I never went to the doctor, I never yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, took medicine, I never got vaccinated for anything. You know, I had to have like permission slips that like I don't need to go <laughs> to go to school for, for vaccinations and things like that, which is seems like the world is changing these days for even religious uh, acceptance to non-vaccination. Um, and I was trained in an early mind, uh, early time that the mind heals the body. Right. This was something that was constant, and my father would just ingrain this in uh -huh. me. Anytime I felt like sick or whatever, he would just like know the truth that your mind has power, your body can heal itself. And constantly focusing on the mind, the right. mind. And it was just like, you're, you are love, right. you are truth, yeah. you are consciousness. Like, and focusing on that, but I'd be like, but, but I would dad, think this like, hurts. Yeah, right. You know, I'd be like, but why is this hurt? Why, why is this like, <laughs> so I was always conflicted, but that training, I had multiple quick healings, uh -huh. multiple quick healings where I was like, huh, I shouldn't have been able to like heal the bone this quick or yeah. this. And so I saw these instances that I was like, okay, this is believable and mm -hmm. the body can heal with the mind in the right place. But if the mind's in constant fear and anxiety, it's sure. hard to heal. And so I was always Interesting. learning this process of like, and what I really learned is like have common sense. You right. know, if you're in a lot of pain, like, okay, if you can't clear your mind, go yeah. get it checked out. 
You know, and so that's what I do now. It's like, okay. Yeah, exactly. Usually I can heal right. minor stuff But quickly. sometimes you need help. And go get it checked out. Did you ever read Mark Twain's essay on Christian uh, science? I, I, I bought the book because he wrote a book called Christian Science. Right, but yeah. there's a, one very funny essay where he, he has a broken leg. And he first goes to, he says, a horse doctor who wanted to charge him for setting the bone. And then he sees a Christian science practitioner mm -hmm. and she tells him that the pain is all imaginary. It's in the mind. Right. Yeah, yeah. And um, so he pays her in imaginary money. <laughs> I love that. And she sends him a very real bill and threatening letter that she's going to take him to court. That's funny, yeah. <laughs> Well, I guess it's kind of crazy because Mary Baker Eddy and Mark Twain were like kind of rivals. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. They respected but didn't respect right. each other. And right. I think he was upset because she kept having bestseller after bestseller. Yes, right. For the same book. Now, another <laughs> another piece of information that I got, because I was really interested in Christian science. Did you study science. Christian science? Yeah, I did. Really? I did, yeah. Is that when Christian scientists have to go to doctors, yes. they respond fantastically to treatment. Uh, and do and doctors that I know who've dealt with Christian science patients love working with them. Why and is I that? think okay, because I think their belief is so focused; it's negative, you know, that mm -hmm. uh, that conventional medicine. But it's very strong belief, and yes. it doesn't matter whether it's a plus or minus sign. It's the once the, you go to the exactly. medicine and you believe it's going to work, work, and then it works right. for you. Yeah, it's the belief that no, this is not real. The pain is not. Uh, More the belief that conventional medicine is evil, but I'm yeah. going to have to do it. But it's like you're believing you believe it. Believe in it. Right. And it I, works for I you. I think belief is a lot of it. Terrific. Isn't it? Yeah. Belief absolutely. in general. Like, right. I mean, it's what placebo is, right? It's absolutely. like you believe this pill is going to actually help me. Whether it actually chemically does or not, studies have shown that absolutely. placebo but in the mind. But you know, it's so interesting. The, the two free, the way, commonest way I hear the word placebo used in medicine is in... How do you know that's not just a placebo effect? Yeah. And the most interesting word there is just. Or we have to rule out the placebo effect. Mm -hmm. That's what you should be trying to rule in. That's what you want. You know, that's the that's pure healing from within, you know, mediated it's by the mind. Believing it. Whether right. you're taking something or not. It's right. Believing inside. So I never give patients sugar pills. I give them things I believe in, but I prefer to give people things that are dilute, that are less potent. You know, like like botanicals rather than pharmaceuticals, if really? I can. But you know, you you want you, you the art of medicine is how you present treatments to people in ways that activate their belief. How how would you approach this? Say I'm I'm, I'm having extreme stomach pain right okay. now, and yeah. it just keeps coming for days, and I don't know how to get rid of the stomach pain. Um, well, first, I'm going to I'm going to ask you what you're eating, what you're doing. By the way, that's a good one because you know the, one of the worst categories of, of medications out there are these proton pump inhibitors, the acid blocking drugs, Nexium, the purple pill. Okay. These are really bad. Bad drugs. for the gut, right? Bad. Once you start taking them, it's very hard to stop taking them because it and relieves pain temporarily, or it what? It suppresses when you suppress something like acid production in the stomach. What's the body going to try to do? It's going to try to produce more acid. Oh, so when you try to reduce the dose or stop, there's an outpouring of acid, and then you're in more pain. You're right? in more pain. Anyway, so you shouldn't even get on them in the first place. But that you know that's a great example. But I cannot tell you how many people I've seen who are put on these things without ever a dietary history being taken. Nobody asks them what they're eating, mm -hmm. how much coffee you're drinking, are you drinking alcohol, do you smoke, 
what's your stress level? Right. You know, often by addressing those things, you can deal with a lot of that. For more, and then there's natural remedies that you know that there's a licorice extract that increases the mucus coating in the stomach. It's mm-hmm. benign, anyway. Wow. But a, but a, for more serious stuff, a strategy. I can't again, can't always do this. But if you can introduce a patient to someone who has had their condition and is now well, that is a very powerful way to you know get their belief in the possibility Why is that, that? Is get someone better. else has done through that gone through this and they got better yeah, so you can see me... it with your own eyes that they you know it's possible because often people get the message in their, especially in their interactions with regular medicine that there's you have to live with it you can't get better and so forth i uh, i've one of the things that i've written you know our our national institutes of health it's funny if you look at the list of the institutes that make it up you know, where is the Institute of Health and Healing? There isn't one. These are the National Institutes of Diseases and Body Parts. It's the National right. Cancer Institute, the National Kidney, and blah, blah, blah. About health. There's nothing about health. So what I would do, if I were king, I would create a <laughs> National Institute of Health and Healing. And mm. one of its missions would be to compile a national registry of remission. So if you get diagnosed with something serious, you know, all sort of colitis, uh, whatever, you can contact this, inst- this inst- agency and they will put you in touch with people in your area who have had your disease and are now well. Isn't it true that just connecting to a group of someone or someones who've gone through something similar gives you more relief and, and connection? Yeah, if, if the outcomes are good. You know, right, one of the right. problems, like, you know, with, like with I see with cancer or, patients, yeah. someone newly diagnosed with cancer and then is told they have to start chemotherapy. So they go to an oncologist's office and they're sitting in the waiting room and what do you see? You know, you see really not good looking people, you know. Doesn't look, encourage you. Yeah. Doesn't encourage you. So, you know, it's really important to, to have, be able to have those messages about that it's possible to get better, that you can be well. And that's, you know, something that I often, uh, often find that in my work with patients is to constantly give that message that, you know, sometimes I'll say to people, you know, I know you can get better. I don't know exactly how you can get better. I'm going to give you suggestions of things to try and you let me know what works and what doesn't, but I know you can get better. Yeah. And I've heard you say before that every, you know, every body or every human type should be treated differently. You can try different things, but you might need right. something else than exactly. work for this person. Yeah. And so you've got to address your whole life, yeah. and your whole life strategies yeah. and what you've been up to. What would you say, if you could choose how old you want to live till? Hmm. What age would you love to live well, till? Well, till it's, till it's, you know, not fun anymore. Yeah. What would, that, well, what would that be? I don't know. It might be mid-80s, 90. I don't know. I don't really? know that I want to live much longer than that. Really? Really. Wow. Yeah. I mean, when I look around me, I mean, there are, there are some exceptional individuals you know, I have one friend. You seem super sharp and healthy. Yeah, but who knows? I mean, I you know, who knows? We don't know. Uh, at some point, you know, you see people uh, when bodies begin to break down, and it's not fun anymore. Right. And another problem is that, you know, when people live too long, all your contemporaries are gone. You know, so you, you lose all have, your friends. Right. You lose all your friends. And another one, I quoted, a, I wrote a book on healthy aging, and I quoted a woman who was in her, she was 102, something like that. And she said that, you know, look at the way the world is now. Look at the way it's going. And look what it's going to be. You know, yeah, I don't know that I want to see it. Wow. You know, so there's, there's, it's not as simple as just wanting to live a certain number of years. You know, if you want to live without, relative without pain. Right. 
you want to be having fun and connected with things and you know you don't want to live when the world gets increasingly terrible which it could for for people that do want to live over a <laughs> hundred yeah let's say for people that aspire uh to live over a hundred healthy yeah sharp mind right. you know memory can see everything can move functionally what would you say would be three to five? Keys okay, to so that? you know, with some years ago, the MacArthur Foundation did a, a study of what they called successful aging, and they interviewed a fairly large number of people who were identified as being successful agers to see what they had in common. The two factors that stood out above everything else were maintenance of physical activity throughout life, and that doesn't mean you know running marathons or working out with trainers. It's just being physically active. And the second was maintaining social and intellectual connectivity. Mm -hmm. And those two factors overrode nutrition, whether really? people were taking supplements. Yeah, those were the two that most stood out. Now, when I was researching that book, I made several trips to Okinawa, which at the time was in the 80s, 90s. Is that the blue, a blue zone there? Yeah, it was the one, Okinawa had the highest concentration of centenarians in the yeah. world. Gosh. So I went there. You know, it's a fabulous place. It's a tropical Pacific paradise, clean air, clean water. It's not Japan. It's a very different culture, different genetics, really? different culture. It's halfway between... Southeast Asian, Japan, the people look, some people look more Cambodian than Japanese. Okinawa. Sorry. Okinawa. It's yep. a, a chain of islands at the southern end of Japan. And it wasn't part of Japan until relatively recently. Gotcha. Anyway, um, you know, it's the first thing I realized when I went there, everything is so different. You know, you can't say that any one thing is responsible for this. You know, it's clean air, clean water. People are, the diet, amazing. I mean, one of the most varied, interesting diets I've ever seen. Not different from the Japanese diet. They eat uh, more pork than the Japanese. And really? the pork is long cooked to remove fat. They drink jasmine tea, not green tea. Um, they eat a tremendous variety of land and sea vegetables, uh, seafood. Um, they very physically active. You know, they don't work out with trainers. They... <laughs> But, you know, they, they haul net fishing nets and right. garden and stuff like that. But the – so very hard to disentangle, you know, what may be responsible for it. But the one thing that really struck me going there from America was the different value placed on aging there. That, and the best example I can give you is that the, a, a story that I got repeatedly in traditional Okinawan society, a major cause – of sibling fighting was over who was going to get to take care of the aging parents. <laughs> no That's way. That's a little different. Come from on, what, little different from what we see the here. Fighting was o over. over who is going to get. No, to I'm going to take care yeah. of grandma. Right, or, or exactly. Parents. Exactly. Yeah. No, I'm going to take care of them. No, yeah. Wait a minute. People here are like, it's I like can't get wait for the way. <laughs> yes. Yeah, Why so is that? Well, we're, I don't think we don't like to look at old. You know, old makes us think of our own mortality and, and uh, we, we want it out of sight. Anyway, the old people that I saw there, huh. uh, they, the oldest old are considered living treasures and whole communities make efforts to include them in all community activities. And they have a glow about them. You know, they were the... I They're idolized almost. Yeah, exactly. Whereas, and they, they look old. I mean, they don't use Botox. They're wrinkled and some of them are stooped. But they yeah. have a, a glow that I don't see among many old A people. wisdom, a confidence. Yeah. Uh, yeah, they're valued. Wow. So uh, to me, that was very striking as such a different from something that I see here. Now, also, I have to tell you that in the years that I was going there, 
Okinawan longevity plummeted, especially among men, and that was attributed entirely to the popularity of American fast food, uh, particularly McDonald's, which became very popular there. And you wonder, I, you know, I saw there was an article in the New York Times about that, and they quoted a middle-aged Okinawan man who said the first time he tasted a McDonald's hamburger, he thought he had died and gone to heaven. I mean, how could that be? They have the most wonderful food available. It really makes you think that the people who design that kind of stuff have really done a lot of research I to mean, figure out what appeals to some the brain. basic wiring in the brain. You know, it's some combinations of salt, the crunch, fat, fat the sugar, exactly. the, all yeah. of it that's like, ah, oh, yeah. this is like, yeah, yeah, turning my mind on that I want more yeah. and more and more. But anyway, I, I think, you know, you asked me the factors. I think being physically active throughout life. Yeah. Um, uh, personally, I, I you know I I think diet does have a big role, and, but very hard to make you know recommendations that apply to everyone. But I think the one I feel sure of is you want to really try to avoid refined, processed, and manufactured yeah. food, yeah, and eat foods as close to the way nature produces them as possible. Yeah, uh, I think the social intellectual connectedness is huge, and you know really saw that in Okinawa. Um, what is the thing you fear the most at, at your age? Uh, it's hard to say. I guess you know. I, 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 I don't feel any changes in my mental function. I mean, I feel the same as I did when I was, you know, seven or eight. Really? Yeah. Uh, my body is obviously different. I have more aches and pains, and I don't have the energy level that I had. Um, and you know, I don't. I don't want. Uh, you know, I don't want my bodily complaints to take over my awareness. Yeah. So, you know, that's, that's, I guess, what I would be afraid of. Right. Are there things that you can do to, to prevent that or to... Well, I think I'm doing them. Yeah. You know, I, I do as much as I can. But nonetheless, time marches on. You know, I'm, I'm right. going to be 79 in a month. And, uh, you know, it's getting up there. Yeah, I was talking with, um, gosh, a doctor from... Uh, Harvard on anti-aging, mm -hmm. I'm forgetting his name right now. Um, and he said, you know, it's, it's horrible what we see with our elders these days in America where they get sick and we extend their lives in pain right. for 10, 20 years of, yep. of suffering. Whereas the key would be they live a long time, they get sick and then they die the next All week. All right, so there's a technical term for that. It's what is called that? compression of morbidity, where morbidity has the medical meaning of sickness. So the idea is you want to squeeze the time of inevitable disability and decline at the end of life into as short a period as possible. Right. So you live long and well, and then you have a rapid drop-off at the end. Yes. So that's what we'd like to do. What's it called? Compression of morbidity. As opposed to what are we doing right now in general where it's... Extension of morbidity. Interesting. Pro prolongation of that... Period. Just keeping someone alive to keep right. them alive. So how do you do that? I mean, what, how do you increase your chances of uh -huh. experiencing that? So I think it's by attending to all the factors under our control that we know, you know, influence how you age. So it is. It is diet. It's uh, physical activity. It's getting good rest and sleep. It's it's managing stress, which I think is huge. Range Rover Sport leads by example. Picture this. 
assertive on-road performance meets commanding all-terrain capability. That's the third-generation Range Rover Sport, which is the most desirable, advanced, and dynamically capable one yet. This vehicle redefines sporting luxury, offering an instinctive drive with engaging on-road dynamics and effortless composure. Now available in sleek, new stealth pack, Carpathian gray exterior wrapped in satin protective film with black accents and black brake calipers. Inside the Range Rover Sport, advanced cabin technologies like active noise cancellation and cabin air purification offer new levels of comfort and refinement. And let's not forget about the award-winning Pivi Pro infotainment system. Enjoy a dynamic drive and total comfort with optional 22-way adjustable heated and ventilated electric memory front seats with massage function. Wow, that's like a spa day while on the go. Design your Range Rover Sport at LandRoverUSA.com. When you want the best, you have to act quickly or someone else will get it instead. Like when you're trying to buy tickets for the best seat at your favorite team's big game or when you're hiring for your business and you want to find the most talented people for your open roles before the competition scoops them up. With ZipRecruiter, you can find qualified candidates fast. And right now you can try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com greatness. ZipRecruiter's powerful matching technology takes center stage to identify top talent for your roles. Immediately after you post your job, ZipRecruiter's smart technology starts showing you qualified people for it. And I believe finding the right team member is one of the most important steps in setting up my company for success. We like to ensure our new hires will be a good fit before they're even on the team. So I am grateful that I have ZipRecruiter's help when we want to grow the team fast. Amp up your hiring performance with ZipRecruiter and find the best fast. See why four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. Just go to this exclusive web address right now to try ZipRecruiter for free. ZipRecruiter.com slash greatness. Again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash greatness. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. You know, you want to find some, you can't live without stress, but you can find ways to neutralize its harmful effects. It's, it's being socially and intellectually connected. Mm -hmm. uh, Have you, you done know, a lot of research on uh, the person you marry or the per your partner and how long you'll live? <laughs> like, yeah. how important it is to have a certain level of peace in your marriage right. or, or absolutely or, or i don't know what the factors are that'll help extend the quality of your yeah. health and lifespan yeah do you know what those factors are no i can guess yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like the more stress in a marriage i'm assuming is chances for more pain and suffering yeah. and shorter or yeah short of death yeah short of life i mean yeah i mean i think the more stress in any area of your life mm -hmm. you know whether it's work or 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 relationships or you know whatever i think that as I said, I don't think we can live without stress. That's part of living. But you can learn and practice methods to neutralize its harmful effects. What would be the, uh, the five foods that if you could only have these five <laughs> foods to support the overall quality of your, your mind, your body, your, your health, your longevity, what would those five foods be for That's you? That's tricky. I would say... Uh, for you personally. Okay, maybe salmon. Okay. Uh, why, why salmon? Because it's a good source of omega-3 fatty acids, and I like it. Yeah. <laughs> Broccoli, because uh -huh. uh, it's a cruciferous vegetable that has lots of protective compounds in it. Uh, berries, uh, which I think are you know really good fruits that are low in glycemic mm -hmm. load and have a lot of protective compounds in them. Uh, I would say green tea. Really? My Over jasmine tea? Yeah. <laughs> my and my preferred form is matcha. Oh yeah, tea, yeah, which, yeah. Which we'll talk about. <clears throat> and Why green tea over jasmine tea, like the Okinawa? 
community? Um, I think that there have been more studies on green tea and its antioxidant uh, and its association with healthy longevity. And the fifth? And the fifth one. Maybe dark chocolate. <laughs> yeah. At least 70% cocoa. Yeah. Okay. And maybe olive oil. That would be a toss-up. Yeah, olive oil is... Why is olive oil being talked about so much? Dr. Uh, Stephen Gundry obsesses yep. about olive oil, like getting as much in your body on a daily <laughs> as yeah. possible, like liters a week or something, he's saying. Well, the average Italian family, I found out, goes through a liter a week. Uh, it is, first of all, it tastes great. It does. It's from a fruit. You know, there aren't many oils from fruits. and most, Olives are fruits. Most, yeah, most oils come from seeds. And the fatty acid composition of oils that come from fruits uh, the other one is avocado, uh, are really heart healthy. And olive oil is unique in having a, an anti-inflammatory compound in it mm-hmm. um, uh, that no other oil has. And really? it, that is very good to contain inappropriate inflammation. And it tastes great. It does. It's a lot of calories, but it tastes good, right? Yes. It tastes good. What would be um, the non-negotiables for you on a daily basis right now at this stage of your life moving forward that you need to... Think about uh, a meditation or prayer practice, uh, a wake-up time, an activity. What's the not a conversation you have with your daughter? I go to bed early. You yep. know, I, I have for a long time. You know, I'm usually in bed by eight thirty or nine. I get up at, at uh, usually four four thirty. That's just my pattern. Yeah. Uh, I meditate when I get up, which I've done for a long time. I practice breath work, which for me is uh, you know that's both a spiritual practice and a physical practice and, and I think that I teach that to all people. I think that's the real key to good physical health. Um, I you know have relationships that I value with my daughter, with my wife. Uh, I have companion animals. I'm a, a dog lover and I can't yeah. imagine life without dogs. Um, you know I spend time outdoors and I have use, I have rewarding work. Yeah. And it's very satisfying. How important is nature, in your opinion, versus it's Im- living in a concrete jungle? <laughs> well, even if you're living in a concrete jungle, you can have plants indoors, you can go to a park. You know, so you, you can find ways to access nature even if you're in a even if you're in a city. Right. How how important is it for you to just be able to walk around in the in the nature in your backyard and it's in important. Your garden and important. The- Really? Yeah. I've always liked to garden. I grow a lot of my own food. I take great pleasure in that. My house is filled with plants. And I have, uh, you know, I live in the desert in Tucson, but I have a summer place on an island in British Columbia, which is the exact opposite. Yeah. You know, it's all green and lush and water. water, Yeah. yeah. So, you know, I get that best of those worlds. That's exciting. What what brings you more peace? Which which location? Desert Um, or? They both. Except the desert, not in not in July. <laughs> no peace, you can't go outside. And British Columbia, not in uh, January, February. So you flip flop. Yeah. yeah. How long have you been married? Well, this is my second marriage, and I've been married for two years. Okay. And when we go, when you go through. Um, Challenging times in relationships. You don't have to get into details yeah. here, but when you've been through challenging times, whether it be a family member, yeah. partner, friends, colleagues, how much does that impact your health? Enormous. Personally? Really? Yeah. Enormous. Is, I it, mean, I, is it the conflict itself or the unresolved conflict? 
That's a hard question. I guess it's the unresolved conflict that's more damaging. But I, you know, I'm very sensitive to that, and it it really affects my sleep, my digestion. Really? Yeah. When you realize that you start to resolve the conflict in your life, what happens to your health? Do you, do you notice it physically in your stomach, digestion? Yeah, and, yeah, and sleep especially. Yeah. And how important is sleep for longevity? Very important. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think there's a, there's a, the per, percentage of people that don't either get enough sleep or good quality sleep is very high in this country. And there's enormous consumption of of medications both prescribed and over the counter for sleep and they're all horrible really they, none of them reproduce natural sleep they suppress dreaming they're addictive interfere with cognitive function what happens when we take an over-the-counter pill or prescription pill in general when we take a substance a chemical substance yeah. No matter what it's treating for, the stomach or well, pain you know, the or- body is. Our bodies are very good at dealing with all sorts of stuff, and uh, you know we we can handle things like that. But in one of the things over the counter, or well, or, it doesn't matter. Some of yeah. the strongest ones are over the counter. Like with sleep, you know, the 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 most common over the counter sleep aid uh, in products like Unisom, for example, and Somonex is Benadryl. It's uh, mm-hmm. diphenhydramine and antihistamine that makes you drowsy. And it's now been found to increase long-term dementia risks if you take it regularly. Yeah. So that's an over-the-counter, you know, a nice little over-the-counter substance. However, you know, one of, one of the things that, uh, that happens that, that I think many people don't realize, a lot of the, most of the medications we use are counteractive. They, they counteract physiological processes. And that's why most of them, the names begin with anti. You know, it's antihypertensive, antihistamines, antispasmodics, anti this, anti that. Um, when you use that kind of a medication, you're pushing against the body with an outside force. Interesting. What does it do? It pushes back. Now that's something called homeostasis. You know, the body tries to maintain equilibrium. So, and I think people don't realize this. If you give one of these counteractive medications over time, long term the homeostatic reaction may get you in more trouble than you had to begin with. And that's what happens with these acid-blocking drugs. Mm. You know, after there was even a, an experiment reported a few years ago where they took a group of young, healthy men who had no GI problems, put them on one of these medications for, I think, six weeks, and then stopped it suddenly, and they all developed reflux disease. So the drug caused the problem it was meant to treat. You know, and this is, this is something, the same thing happens with antidepressants, you know, that you give these things that increase serotonin at neural junctions in the brain, and what happens over time, the body stops making serotonin, and it drops serotonin receptors. So it makes if you, you more depressed when you get off so of if, it. Exactly, exactly. So, so what's that's the something that people just don't, that, you know, don't think about. They don't realize that problem. And, you know, it is, it, it, if you're dealing with an acute situation, it's nice to have these things that push the body back in the right place. But once you get there, you want to back off their use and find other ways to maintain that improvement. Because if you stick with the medication, you're going to run more often than not into that kind of problem. Really? Yeah. So if someone's been, I mean, it seems like it's, especially with social media culture, comparison culture, on social media, the yeah. addictiveness. No, I, I agree. Everyone has the ability to just put the phone down. Right. Right. And just yeah, not stop. so easy though. <laughs> Everyone has the ability yeah. to say, I'm turning my phone off and yeah. I'm going to go do something else. But with um, 
this culture of not enough, instant gratification, comparing to all these other people who look better or whatever and me needing to fulfill something that I'm not doing. What would you say to the younger generation that has all of these things coming in uh, to their mind, all this attention to how they're not enough? What would you say if they're in ex- extreme depression, feeling moody, I don't know if that's all teenagers in general, but if they're having that, how can they start to find more peace? Jeez, I think you want to limit your time on devices in general, yeah. you know, and realize how addictive and seductive it is and to just set some kind of limits to it because it's, it really affects brain function. I don't think we know the full extent of that at the moment. Yeah. That's a big problem. Are you, do you use devices a lot? I do, but I'm pretty, I'm better than most people that I see. You know, and usually at some point in the day, which is, you know, maybe middle of the day, I, I'm, I'm out of there, you know, and I try not to look at email or any of that stuff anymore. Yeah, and you're out in nature, you're connected with yeah. family. And, right. And speaking of family, how long were you married, the first marriage? Seven years. Seven years. Yeah. And then how long was there a time between the first marriage and... Uh, that must have been. That was fairly long. Really, I was in a, re- a long-term relationship. Gotcha. Just not married. Right. Okay, gotcha. Married. Yeah. Um, what's the reason for getting re- remarried at this age? And <laughs> that's a good I, question. And what, and what are the benefits or non-benefits to your overall health? Okay. Well, one of the benefits is that I'm married to a Canadian. So I can get into Canada. <laughs> so I can get into Canada. You can get to your second home. You can get to my second home, right. Uh, my, she's also much younger than I am. Uh, she's 43. Mm-hmm. And she's... And you are? I'm 70, about to be 79. Wow. And she's very athletic and outdoorsy. So that's very good for me. Uh, you know, wow. she's a runner and all sorts of things. So uh, she pulls me in directions that otherwise I might not. That you'd be like, I want to relax right Yeah, now. exactly. Like, Let's go. Yeah, yeah, right. Move your butt. So that's good. Wow. Yeah. That's interesting. Where do you think your health would be if you weren't in, in a relationship where someone was actively trying to move? I probably and- would be lazier and, uh, you know, I, I think my, I, I take pretty good care of myself, but probably not as good as it is at the moment. Really? Yeah. So Mary Young. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what would you say are the, the, the brain foods that would actually help increase our mood, the function of our mood, to feeling better, not in an addictive, I need this all the time, McDonald's hit, right. but overall calming, happy, healthy mood? Well, I think that, you know, omega-3 sources are huge. You know, mm. we know those are really necessary for brain health. So, you know, oily fish uh, are, are the best sources. I think there are some of the mushrooms. You know, the one uh, most studied is lion's mane, which is yeah. a very good edible mushroom, but that really looks as if it improves cognitive function and protects the brain. I think uh, anti-inflammatory agents um, like turmeric, mm-hmm. ginger are great. Olive oil is Olive good oil, too. of course. Do you take supplements yourself? I do. I take a uh, you know a multi-nutrient supplement. I take CoQ10. I take uh, magnesium. I take a number of mushroom formulas. Really? And you make them yourself? I don't make them, but a friend of mine does, and I'm 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 a great believer in mushrooms and their medicinal benefits. How long have you been studying mushrooms? Geez, probably since the 1970s. Also, uh, you know, I first became interested in. Uh, well, I grew up, my mother was very fearful of mushrooms, as many people were. You know, she said, don't even touch them, you'll get poisoned. Really? Yeah. 
And uh, so I first got interested in food mushrooms and then uh, started when I began reading about Chinese medicine to see how much they were valued in Chinese medicine. And in Western medicine, we never paid any attention to them. So that interested me. And I began looking at, you know, what, what are the effects of these things and why are they so much loved in Asia? And they're really interesting. You know, they, these, a lot of these affect immunity, resistance to cancer, viruses. You know, they're just, they're great. So um, I began, you know, I beca really became knowledgeable about mushrooms. Really? Yeah. So you take them daily or weekly? You take yeah, them? I take, yeah. Oh. And I eat mushrooms whenever I get the chance. Mushrooms are powerful, huh? They're real powerful. Wasn't there a documentary called like The Magic Power of Mushrooms? Or something? I'm Did sure. You see this on Netflix, there, I think. Yeah, 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 yeah. There's, how many species of mushroom? Countless. I don't think we know. Thousands, right? Yeah, thousands and thousands. And the percentage of them that can kill you is very tiny. So when you go out, you know, when you learn to pick wild mushrooms, the first thing you want to do is learn the ones that can kill you. Right. And those are fairly easy to learn. And then once you learn those and avoid them, you can experiment. And the worst thing you're going to get is a stomach ache of one sort or another. For a few hours and you'll yeah. be fine. Yeah, um, Tell me... Tell me, talk to me about teas, because I'm interested in teas sure. and the power of teas. And what is the purpose of tea and why do people drink it so much in general? Okay, first of all, tea all comes from one plant. Uh, it's Camellia sinensis, the tea plant. A lot oh. of things we, people call teas are herbal infusions, you know, that aren't made from the tea plant. So chamomile tea is not tea. It's not tea. Rooibos tea is not tea. What is it? It's just herbs. It's an herbal together. infusion, you know. But when, but if you're talking strictly about tea, it's all from this one species of plant. And where does the species grow? It can grow anywhere. Well, it's yeah, it's native to China and India, uh, mm. but it can. I hear people are cultivating tea in Oregon now. Uh, I haven't tried any of it yet. Uh, anyway, so it can grow over a wide, you know, in, 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 it can't take frost, but it can grow in, you know, of a lot of, mm -hmm. a lot of different areas. Okay. But then there are many varieties of tea depending on how the tea is grown, how it's treated, whether it's steamed, dried, roasted, toasted, uh, how long it's oxidized. Mm -hmm. And you've got like everything from white tea, which is very delicate, green tea, oolong tea, black tea, um, and, uh, you know, there's all sorts of different preferences. When I was growing up, tea was what old people and sick people drank. Right, right. Or iced tea on the golf course. With a lot of sugar. Yeah, yeah. Right. And the, uh, the only tea that we had available, you know, was tea in bags. And, and that's the common stuff is literally the sweepings of, from the floor of tea estates. Mm. So it's been only relatively recently that people in this country have become aware of good tea. Uh, what are the benefits of tea? Why, why drink tea? Well, it's agreeable. I mean, throughout for centuries, people have found it to be agreeable. It's a stimulant. It's got caffeine. Um, all tea, or I guess all, all true tea has caffeine. So some has more than others. Like a mint tea that's non-caffeine. That's, that's, that's not tea. That's there a, is, however, mint-flavored tea. So you know, got to read the label. You know, but that's with caffeine. Yes, if that's it's with tea. Caffeine. It has caffeine. caffeine. Right. Now, the stimulation, however, of tea is very different from that of coffee. Coffee has more caffeine in it, but they have different other things in them. And tea has a compound called L-theanine that you've probably heard of that's yeah. a relaxant. 
And I think that combination uh, really affects the, the quality of stimulation of caffeine. So it's, oh, so it's got caffeine, which gives you sharper energy, right. but also a relaxation. Yes, so, it's so like people, a, you know, I think it describe it as a relaxed alertness. Interesting. Different from the stimulation of coffee, which I personally think is much more jangling. A jittery alertness right. versus a exactly. calm alertness, right. a focused alertness. Exactly. Yeah. Now, the ob- other observation I make, I don't want to bash coffee too yeah. badly, but uh, I see an awful lot of people who are addicted to coffee, physically addicted. You know, if they try to stop, they have a withdrawal syndrome. You know, it's like a lethargy and then a pounding headache and it can, you know, last for 48 hours and instantly relieved if you have some coffee. Right. You don't see that with tea, you know, rarely. Not like, I need my tea this morning. Yeah, I need exactly. Rarely. <laughs> I'm on my first right. talk about tea. Exactly. Yeah. And also, uh, when I was actively seeing patients, I, I used to say that I would produce one miracle cure a week by getting somebody to stop drinking coffee. And it was from everything from hand tremors to irregular heartbeats to bladder problems, GI problems, stomach problems, a whole range of stuff, and they had no idea that the coffee was doing it to them. But you got you got them off the coffee, and they were like two weeks later, they were fine. Fine, and and these were often problems you're, that had gone on for years, you're and nobody people's had, hearts. and nobody had ever told them though. No. You're breaking people's hearts, exactly here. right. But also, there's a huge variation in how people respond to caffeine in general and coffee in particular. I, I see people who have no idea that the one cup of coffee they have in the morning is the reason they can't sleep at night. And I see other people who can drink a pot of coffee at bedtime and fine. So you got to find out where you are on that spectrum. Yeah, I can you know, have a cappuccino at night, after like 10 o'clock and pass out the next So hour. you're relatively caffeine insensitive. Yeah. Uh, so, so, not that I need it. I no, just right. like little yeah. taste or whatever. And I wonder, and, I, and I'll drink it in the mornings and it doesn't like give me more energy. Yeah. I feel like I have energy. Right. But when people say they get energy from coffee, it's their energy. You know, <laughs> coffee just bunches it up. And when it wears off, you're left with a depletion of energy. Really? What do you mean it's their energy that bunches it up? It, caffeine isn't giving you a gift. Of, coffee isn't giving you a gift of energy. What's, it's like it's forcing your body to give up chemically stored energy that it would normally not release all at once. Like stored where in the fat cells or in the no in in all cells in in it's in all cells and com- energetic compounds in all cells. So but when you when you release that energy, then when the, when the drug wears off, you have a depletion of energy. That you and you feel tired. Up. Yeah, you have a crash. So and why does tea not do that specifically? Probably because it's first because it's less caffeine, so it's gentler stimulation, mm-hmm. and it's also got this other compound that moderates the the thing. I don't know about you, but when around 3 p.m. hits, I find myself craving the right refreshment to get me through that mid-afternoon slump. New Pure Leaf Zero Sugar Sweet Iced Tea is full-flavored sweet tea, but without the sugar and the calories. It might take several bottles for you to believe that a delicious sweet tea can really have zero sugar and zero calories. But you know what they say, life is full of surprises. Or in this case, full of flavor. New Pure Leaf Zero Sugar Sweet Iced Tea. Try it to believe it. For 20% off your next 12 pack head to amazon and use promo code 20 pure leaf that's promo code 20 p-u-r-e-l-e-a-f for 20 percent off with capella university's flex path learning format you can earn your degree online at your own pace and get support from people who care about your success imagine your future differently at capella.edu 
So I guess you can find, you could find tea addicts. I don't see them very often. Right. Uh, and I don't see many people who say they get a crash from, from tea drinking. What, uh, and, and also coffee does have, you know, there are health benefits of coffee, but there's been a tremendous amount of research on health benefits of tea, like especially what? green tea. Like what are the benefits? Overall lower death rates. Really? <laughs> yeah, there's a, a huge population study in Japan is that, that because should, of the tea or because of all the other factors, the environment, well, and friends? We, and we don't know. Uh, but there's, there's a clear association between the more tea people drink, lower causes, <laughs> all causes of death. It's got improved cardiovascular health, lower rates of cancer, uh, you know, all wow. sorts of stuff like that. And of the various forms of tea, personally, I think green tea has been most studied. Here's the thing. When I drink green tea in the morning with no food, it makes me feel a little upset. Like I've thrown up before. I have heard this from, I've heard this from people. I get a little nauseous sometimes. I hear this from people. So you want to have food in your stomach. Right. That's a fairly simple fix. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. Well, why is that, do you think? Is I it, don't know. And well, it's with not, coffee, I'm fine. I mean, interesting. Like I don't I know why. I can drink coffee in the morning and not eat all day. I do not know why. Huh. Maybe there's a compound in the tea Possible. that's stimulating Possible. something. Interesting. So my preferred form is matcha green tea, which is the powdered tea. Yeah, but matcha doesn't make me feel sick. Okay, I good. I like matcha. Oh, good. I'm glad to hear that. Yeah. You got to try our matcha, which is the best. Which you guys, you guys have, I mean, the best domain in the tea world is matcha.com. Yeah, what well, was a good score? I mean, <laughs> why, why is, why did you get in, how did you get into okay, matcha? When I was 17, uh, I was on a student exchange program. This was 1959. Rotary? No, actually, it was an experimental school called the International School of America. <laughs> Your uh, whole strange. life just sounds yeah. woo-woo yeah, yeah. and out there, which I love. This was great. I got to travel around the world for uh, nine months and live with native families yeah. in different cultures. Didn't speak changed, the language. My, changed my life. Well, anyway, it's uh, for a quick story there yeah. before you tell it. My dad. We had seven exchange students live with us when I was a kid. Yeah. So it's like, we didn't have the money to travel. Right. But, but you like brought we, it to you. We brought it to me. So we had people from all over the world teaching us the culture and the food. There's and the no it was substitute for that. Amazing. No substitute for that, for amazing. knowing about other, other cultures. Yeah. Anyway, Sorry, so ahead. I lived with, uh, with Japanese families outside of Tokyo and Kobe. And the Japanese family outside of Tokyo, uh, there were supposed to be... A, a student studying English, but there was no language. <laughs> no one spoke no, English. No one spoke English. So the second night that I was there, <laughs> the mother, through gestures, made known she wanted to take me next door to her neighbor who was a tea ceremony practitioner. That's so cool. the th it was cool. So the three of us sat around, um, and this woman in kimono made matcha. So first of all, the color of the matcha just blew me away. I mean, it's this brilliant green powder. I'd never seen green like that. And then the whisk that they whisked it in a bowl to a froth is a marvel of Japanese craftsmanship carved from a single piece of bamboo. And th that whisk just, oh, I love that. I wanted one of those. So uh, I then in the 1970s, I began going to Japan fairly regularly for different things. And whenever I'd go, I'd bring matcha back and turn people onto it. Nobody had ever heard of matcha. And I'd, I'd make it for people. And somewhere in the 80s, maybe 90s, I started importing matcha from a company in Japan that I met and selling it on my website, drwild.com, way ahead of its time. You know, there was no awareness of matcha Before at all. Starbucks made it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, but then watching matcha suddenly become popular here, 
I was amazed, but also disappointed that so much of the matcha here was terrible. Well, it's just sugar infused. But and... also the matcha itself, because it's such a fine powder, it's got a huge surface area. It oxidizes very quickly. So if it's not stored properly, uh, mm. it, it loses that green color, becomes sort of yellowish green or gray green. It gets bitter. And a lot, that's a lot of people, that's all the only matcha they've tried is stuff like that. So I uh, really wanted to turn people on to good matcha. What, so, are, what are the benefits of matcha in general? Well, it's the only form of tea in which the whole leaf is consumed. Um, and it's got a higher content of antioxidants and flavor compounds than that L-theanine and other forms of tea. So it's grown in an unusual way. It's like they're, they're special tea plants. Uh, and uh, starting about three weeks before they harvest it, they cover the plants with shade cloth it's about a 90% shade cloth, so pretty dark. And in response to that, the leaves get bigger. To try to get the sun. To get it bigger and thinner. They produce wow. more chlorophyll wow. to try to make more energy. And they produce more antioxidants and more flavor compounds. And then the leaves are harvested, steamed, dried, um, aged. And then they're ground between stones. It used to be done by hand. Now they're sort of mechanically Machines, driven. But, yeah. but it's gr these grooved granite stones to this super fine powder. And so it's, uh, you know, it's a special form of tea that has higher content of all the good stuff. We're gonna have to come to Tucson and have you make me some I would sometime. love to do whisk that. It, whisk it up for me. I would love to do Or that. just go to Japan and, I'd love and to do uh, find a right. specialty place. And, but and meantime, you can get it from our uh, website, matcha.com. Matcha.com, yeah. there you go. And do you guys teach how to make it too? Yes, there's sell instructional the videos. And and we sell everything. Bowls and everything. everything, everything's all there. That's exciting. Yeah, that's fun. So it's been fun to turn people onto that. So why matcha over jasmine or green? What's the I think it's personal preference, taste? whatever you like. I like the, the I, first of all, I just like the look of matcha. Yeah. I like the taste of it. I like the ritual of, of okay. whisking it. Yeah. Well, you can do it any way you want. And is it, you know, the Starbucks way is like you put almond milk in it or something, but how would you, is this with water? Is this with Yeah, milk? just, well, I, I like it just with water, no sweetener. That's just the way I like it. I also like iced matcha, uh, sort of, I use an electric whisk in room temperature water and then put ice cubes in it. And, and really? then when it's hot weather, I like that a lot. Wow. I like to drink green things. <laughs> what's, what's the, um, are you drinking a, a one tea a day? Do you have I'd say one a day. For you? Yeah, yeah, usually one a day or early in the day. I mean, occasionally I'll have another one, but I usually don't need more than one. What's your nighttime ritual? My nighttime ritual? I eat early. Um, early I, what's that? Five, I like seven? Four to five, I would say. That's your dinner. Yeah, I like to cook. So in, even if I'm by myself, you know, I usually cook for myself. Simple stuff, but I, you know, I like simple, delicious things. So, uh, and I like cooking for other people. And then after dinner, um, I like to often read, uh, watch movies, depending on the weather, of course. I mean, if it's up a phone from BC and it's light till 10 o'clock, I'm, you know, outdoors. And right, right. You're living the dream. You've done so many diff different interesting things. What's the thing you're most proud of that you've created? You know, I, 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 there is now a center at the University of Arizona College of Medicine named the Andrew Weil Center for Integrative Medicine. That's pretty cool. Yes. That's pretty cool. And uh, we're the world leader in education in this field. Wow. You know, as I said, we've graduated uh, over 2,000 physicians from our trainings. We train medical students. We train we have our, our curriculum in 80 residency programs. We train 
other health professionals. We train, uh, you know, chiropractors, dentists, nurses uh, in integrative medicine. And, you know, as I've always said one day we'll be able to drop the word integrative. It'll just be good medicine. And that's coming. And integrative is... Is that the exclusion of medicine, like traditional medicine? No, it builds on conventional medicine. So you still can prescribe Absolutely. traditional medicine. Yeah, you know, we, we, if I've always said if I'm in a serious car accident, I don't want to first go to a, yeah. to a Christian science <laughs> right, practitioner right. or a chiropractor or shaman. You know, I want to go to a trauma center <laughs> and get put back together. But then I'd use other methods I know to speed up healing. Right. So uh, I think the, frankly, I could, one of the things I can see happening, I, I think that, um, a lot of uh, smaller and community hospitals aren't going to be there in the future. I think nobody's going to be able to afford, you know, that stuff. And that what we call conventional medicine, allopathic medicine, that may become a specialty for dealing with trauma, for critical illness, mm -hmm. and there'll be one large facility in cities that has all the hardware. And uh, there'll be new kinds of institutions that'll come into right. being, you know, that I think of as healing centers. So that's, that's one possible future. You've seen the obesity go up in America huh. since the last 50 years. Yeah. It probably wasn't two-thirds back then. It was probably about one-third maybe or not even. I don't know what it was back then. Well, I remember now, watching, right? you know, a few years ago, I watched the whole uh, Ken Burns uh, documentary on World War II. Okay. It was on PBS. And there were many crowd scenes, both military and civilian, thousands of people. You don't see a single fat person in those crowds. Is it because they didn't have the money to buy food? Is it because they're, no, you know? No, it's not. And, you know, it's, the other interesting thing is if you look what people were eating in those days, they didn't know a lot of what we know now. They weren't so, processing food as much, too. Right? So, yeah. So, I mean, but people ate, you know, they were eating potato, meat and potatoes and Rice pies or, yeah, and blubber. Yeah. But it was real food made from scratch. You know, they were not eating manufactured food. They weren't eating fast no, food. There was no fast food then. Right. But there's an enormous change in how people looked. You know, I, I read, I read there was a book that came out a few years ago that was trying to argue that the obesity epidemic was an artifact of statistics, the way we were measuring people. Bullshit. <laughs> you just look at this. You know, it's right. like unbelievable how how people have changed. Everyone was fit or looked thinner right. back then, right? Right. And now everyone looks yeah fatter. Yeah. What do you think's gonna? What do you think in the next fifty years? we're going to be as a country in terms of obesity. You know, I saw, I saw this, uh, uh, this was a couple years ago, I read that the military is really having problems finding people who are qualified for military service because of obesity. Come so on. if it's really, so if it's threatening national defense, you'd think, you know, it, it, now people are going to take it seriously. We've got to do something. Just because they're not in shape enough to yeah. pass the test, yeah. the physical test? Yeah. Uh, you know, we're in such a mess in this country with regard to food and nutrition. It's hard to know where to start. <laughs> where I would start is if we could get people to stop drinking sweet liquids. Right. That would be, a, we'd have to put us so far out of the curve. Soda pop. And, and, and it's yeah. not just soda pop. It's also fruit juice. It's energy drinks. It's putting sugar in coffee and tea. All the Starbucks right, matcha. Adding, right. Yeah. So that would be sugar. that would be one place to start, just to not drink sweet liquids. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, that would that would be a big step. What about alcohol consumption? Eh, I don't. Uh, you know, sure. I think you know, the the whole key with alcohol is moderation. Yeah. Uh, you know, there's constant arguments about whether it's beneficial or harmful, <clears throat> and uh, I think moderation is is the, the key. key. I don't think that's nearly as big a factor as as. Uh, as sugar, sure, really. Right. And when you created the anti-inflammatory diet, right? Yeah. When was that? 
long ago. And, you know, I, I, I have a history of being ahead of the curve in a lot of yeah. areas, you know, that I've been able to foresee trends. I was, I think, the first people to warn people about trans fats 10 years uh -huh. before people took notice of that. So I became aware of this beginnings of this hypothesis that chronic inflammation was the root cause of a lot of different kinds of serious chronic diseases. And that just fascinated me because when I was in medical school, I was taught that cardiovascular disease had nothing in common with cancer and that mm. had nothing in common with Alzheimer's or Parkinson's right. disease. And now suddenly it looks like, you know, all of these things are linked. They have a common root of chronic inflammation. inflammation. And, and if that's the case, uh, the good news is then there's a common strategy for dealing with them if you can reduce inappropriate inflammation. So I think there's a lot of misunderstanding about inflammation. You know, inflammation is the cornerstone of the body's healing response. That's inflammation. So inflammation is good, good. when you're in pain. Well, it's good, you know, it's the way the body gets more nourishment and more immune activity to an right. area that's injured or under attack. Right. So we all know it on the surface of the body. You know, it's redness, swelling, you know, pain, heat. Uh, but we aren't aware of it necessarily internally, and especially if it's low level. Uh, it's, it, inflammation is so powerful and it's so potentially destructive that it's very important that it ends when it's supposed to end and stay mm. where it's supposed to stay. So you don't want it throughout your no, body all the time. No, if information persists, if it outlives its purpose, then it causes disease. And it looks now, if you, if you can't produce enough inflammation, you're vulnerable to infection. If you produce too much inflammation, you're vulnerable to allergies and autoimmunity. And it looks like if you've got low-level chronic inflammation going on for a long time, you greatly increase risks of cardiovascular disease, of neurodegenerative mm. disease, and cancer. And uh, so I think one of the best things we can do is learn how to contain it. So w what are the factors that influence it? It's partly genetic, it's stress. Exposure to environmental toxins is a big one. Uh, secondhand cigarette smoke is a very powerful pro-inflammatory really? agent. But diet has a huge influence, and that's one that's potentially under our control. Right. And I think there's no question that the mainstream North American diet is strongly pro-inflammatory. It gives us the wrong kinds of fats, the wrong kinds of carbs, and not enough of the protective elements, which are mostly in fruits, vegetables, herbs, spices, tea, mm -hmm. things like that. Yeah. So what would be the an anti-inflammatory diet? So... Uh, a base of high-quality produce, uh -huh. you know, and the government always tells us to eat more fruits and vegetables, but the emphasis really should be on vegetables okay. because fruits are sugar sources and you right. want to, you know... Veggies, more veggies. More veggies. You want to avoid pro-inflammatory fats, which are things like, you know, hydrogenated fats, margarine, vegetable shortening, and the polyunsaturated vegetable oils. Okay. Uh, so, you know, you want to eat olive oil should be your main, main thing. Fat, or avocado oil. Or avocado oil, oil yeah. Gotcha. Uh, nuts, seeds, good. They're good, yeah. Yes. In terms of carbohydrate, it, you know, it's not that carbohydrates are bad. It's that you want to reduce consumption of quick digesting ones, the ones that turn quickly into blood bread? sugar. So everything made with flour. Uh, and that's all the snack foods, all the, you know, it's every, everything, everything, yeah. And, and uh, sweeteners in general. I mean, that doesn't mean you live without sugar completely, but you want to really keep, keep that to a minimum. So is this all flour or is this just more? It's like, all flour. You know, I think the like one of the... almond flour and... Well, that's a nut. 
So okay. that's that's better. <laughs> but with grains, I, I think there's such misunderstanding. You know, if I ask people to name a whole grain food, the usual answer I get is whole wheat flour or whole wheat bread. Where's the whole wheat bread is not a whole grain food. Where's the grain? You know, it's and the FDA doesn't get that. They let that put labels on it saying this is a whole grain food and good for you. Most whole wheat bread is colored white bread. You know, when you when you have a grain, the starch is tightly compacted, very dense, and it's surrounded by a more or less by a fibrous bran, and it takes time for digestive enzymes to get in there and convert the starch to sugar. When you mill a grain into flour, whether or not the bran is present, whether or not the germ is present, you convert the starch into a material with an infinite surface area, and it's a snap for digestive enzymes to turn that into sugar. So I, people don't understand this. You know, it's that it's that there is a big difference between a whole grain that you can see or a grain cracked into a few big pieces and flour. Can so, you eat whole grain? Like, are you supposed to eat the whole grain? We do. I mean, we eat cracked grains. Gotcha. Or you cook, it, you cook barley and okay. you cook buckwheat and you cook well, no, wild that rice. Before, but yeah, okay. <laughs> That's grains. what we're supposed to be doing. Yeah. But not converting That's it into... That's fine, but not grinding it into flour. Really? Yeah, or you just use little bits of that because that's the stuff that raises blood sugar quickly, and that's what causes insulin resistance, and you know, in a lot, a lot of people. What about oatmeal? I, I think relatively, especially steel cut oatmeal, where you're dealing with chewy grains, is okay. Yeah. Okay, steel cut, but not like the not mush, <laughs> not not cream of mush. <laughs> I eat so much cream of wheat when I was growing up. It was <laughs> yeah. so bad for you. We're pouring brown sugar on top, man. I know. Oh, uh, the sad American diet is what I had growing up. Um, you know, that is just the standard American diet. Yeah, it's sad. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> so this consists of the anti-inflammatory diet. How so long do you go on that for? I think so? it's, it's the way you live. You live that way. Yeah. You know, and, and in terms, I think it's also good to reduce animal foods in the diet. I don't mm-hmm. tell people to become complete vegans or vegetarians, but it is desirable to reduce consumption of animal foods. And also, not only for personal health, but for planetary health. Right. You know, when you look, um, you know, I've been, uh, I, I've written and thought a lot about the, the pandemic and, you know, that we are at tremendous risk for these they're called zoonotic diseases, diseases that jump from animals to people, of which right. this is one. If we're consuming it, we're more at risk. Is right. But it. these diseases are becoming more frequent and worse. You know, AIDS is one of these and, mm-hmm. you know, all these things and, and COVID certainly. And uh, the reasons that this is happening more and why we're at greater and greater risk, it's climate change, it's deforestation. It's too many people. It's too many people living in too dense concentrations. It's the way we raise animals mm-hmm. and treat them. And you look at this and you think, like, you know, which of these things can we do anything about? It's not clear. The one thing that we could do something about is reducing our dependence on animal foods. Right, right. That, 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 would, that would be one concrete step to, you know, help the environment. And have you seen this uh, documentary, Sea Spiracy? No. <laughs> Yeah, if but, I can imagine. I love your thoughts on it, but um, so are you? Uh, do you eat just less food? I, I hear you like fish, but are you eating less meat? I don't. I haven't eaten meat in a very long time. Really? Yeah. So you eat fish a lot of fish, or I eat fish and vegetables. Yeah, mostly, and and I eat a lot of plant protein as well. You know, mm-hmm. and it's great to see more you know good kinds of Coming plant protein there. foods available. 
you said in Japan or Okinawa, they have more pork. Pork, interestingly. I mean, they like pork, <laughs> and that's a cultural preference. Gotcha. Uh, you know, I don't. I don't. I choose not yeah. to eat uh, animal foods. Yeah. Except for for uh, fish. Fish. When did you cut out animal foods? Uh, I can tell you exactly. Thanksgiving of 1970. Come on. <laughs> what happened? I was uh, the turkey was just not cooked right. You're like, what am I doing? <laughs> no, it's funny. I was uh, I did it as an experiment. I was starting to do yoga, and uh, you know that was part of yoga mm -hmm. philosophy. And also, I had friends who became vegetarian. So I thought I would just do it as an experiment, see what happened. And to my surprise, um, I lost weight. I had more energy. I felt great, and I st stuck with it. Stuck with it. I didn't fish. eat fish at first. I was a lacto-vegetarian for about 15 years. And then, um, I, you know, I was, I told you I was going to Japan. It is not easy to be in Japan and not eat fish. Everything's fish. Everything's fish. You know, the sauces, the broth. Um, so, so first of all, I was reading about the health benefits of fish. And then I was traveling a lot, so I started eating fish, and then that's pretty much what that, I've stuck that's with. That's stuck, yeah. gotcha. And when you think about um, the inflammation that people are having a lot, mm -hmm. is it, can inflammation also be caused with the mind, or is it only through like no, the No, I said and abso absolutely, and absolutely the mind and stress really? are a fact. Absolutely a factor. In fact, there's a whole, I mean, there's quite a lot of research on how the, um, the, how the brain and the immune system interact and how the mind plays into that. In fact, here, this is fascinating. Um, the, you know, the, the, the current theory of depression, which is dominant in medicine, it's called the serotonin hypothesis of uh. depression, is that it's a deficiency of serotonin in the brain. That's why we give these drugs that increase serotonin, yes. which don't work that well. You know, there's increasing evidence that they don't work that great. Well, there's an, alter an alternative hypothesis that's been out there that's been building, which, I, which is right. It's called the cytokine hypothesis of, of depression. This is an interesting story. There's, um, it's long been known that when anim domestic animals get sick, uh, cows, pigs, sheep, that they exhibit a, a cluster of symptoms that's called sickness behavior. Uh, they, and it's usually sick with some sort of infectious disease. They stop moving, they stop socializing, stop eating, they right? lose interest in sex, mm. they stop eating. So farmers had, had always thought this was a result of fatigue associated with infection. But in the 1970s, to everyone's surprise, it was found that it was mediated by a blood-borne factor, that you could take blood from an animal with sickness behavior, inject it into a well animal, and that animal showed the same symptoms. Come on. So nobody knew what it was in blood. You know, it was called factor X. And then it turned out this was identified as a group of regulatory substances called cytokines, which mediate inflammation. And it looks as if there's a correlation between increased inflammation, increased immune activity, and depression. To the extent now that they find that, that some people with severe depression respond to anti-inflammatory drugs much better than to antidepressant drugs. So, wow. and if you think about it, you know, evolutionarily that makes sense because if you've got, you know, if you've got an infectious disease, it makes sense to stop moving, you know, and stop eating. You want to conserve your energy, but there's a mood change that goes along with that. So it's like, you know, there's a back and forth connection that, that depression and inflammation are connected. What do you think we should be thinking on a daily basis in terms of our thoughts? If the thought is what 
you know, somewhat regulates our mindset and our mood sets throughout the day. What do you think about and what do you prescribe as thought? Well, one thing I, you know, one reason that I tell people to practice breath work and to do some forms of meditation is that practicing putting your attention on your breath, that is a safe place to have your attention. Yes. It's like putting your mind in neutral. It's much better than having your attention on your thoughts because very often it's thoughts and images in the mind which are sources of anxiety, of negative feelings. And you often can't stop them, but what you can do is try to just disconnect your attention from them. And that's, you know, breath is one way to do that. Has there ever been a point in your life where your thoughts took over? Oh, yeah. And your mind took over and you went spiraling? Yes. How did you overcome that? I think one was just moving through, moving through it, uh, trying various things. Um, you know, were you, were you aware of it when it was happening? Oh yeah, definitely. So you're like, okay, this is something I've been practicing for years. Definitely, but I'm in this. Definitely. So you're not immune to not these challenges, all. also. No, not at all. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. But no, it's, yeah. I know that very well. <laughs> really? Yeah. It's been a while since I've gotten caught in that, but there were periods of my life when, yes, that was that was you know, and I I tried all sorts of things and you know didn't a lot of things I tried didn't work. I think uh, you know, having practiced meditation for a long time, that it was not a quick fix, but long term, I think that's been very helpful. That helped. Yeah. How long was the the worst time of being in that spiral for you? Uh, I think a couple of years. Just kind of like low level anxiety consistently. You weren't more, able to get more out depression of it? than anxiety. Really? Yeah. What age range was this? Do you remember? I would think that was in my forties. Do you know what maybe caused it? I think some of it was being isolated. I think some was being in socially Tucson isolated. Or, or, yeah, I think I mean, it was. Yeah. Well, some some I some I was living in Latin America. Some in Tucson. Um, I really also not feeling I had a purpose. But you were healing lives and changing the world. Yeah, and nonetheless, this but I was education to so many people. Well, this was before, really okay. before that. Really. Yeah. So a lack of purpose. Lack isolation. of purpose. Social isolation. Yeah. I would try to maintain my habits, especially habits of, of physical activity, uh, but my sleep was not good. But it, it, was a, it was a thing that was with me for some time. I wrote about that, and I have a book called Spontaneous Happiness, which is about emotional wellness, and I, I wrote about that experience. Interesting. I tried an antidepressant drug, and it didn't do much for me. When did you start to see yourself come out of it? What were the things that caused the change? Did you move somewhere? Did you? Yeah, I think it was when uh, I did. I, I moved. I got in a relationship that le led to my first marriage. Uh, love, I, love, love heals people. Love heals people. Yeah, I I, I wrote a uh, the uh, my first book that was really a big bestseller. You know, I just was. Which in one a, was that? It's called Spontaneous Healing. That was the one. Yeah, interesting. You wrote that one while you were depressed. Yeah, <laughs> because you were just seeking the answers. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so you had more purpose and you got... Right. But, you know, I think um, having experiences like that, uh, I feel stronger as a result of it. it make, first of all, it makes me much more compassionate with people. Having the pain, the frustration, yeah. the suffering. Yeah. yeah. 
That's powerful. Yeah. I, I love learning about the mind and the thoughts and how to heal our body through that. Yeah, well, that's your background, that's man. Back. That's you grew I grew up, up in, in Yeah. I got a couple of final questions with you, and I'll be respectful of your time. This is fascinating. This is a question I ask everyone towards the end of yeah. our show called The Three Truths. Hypothetical question and scenario. Yeah. Imagine it is your last day on earth, many years away, yeah. and you accomplish everything you want to accomplish. Yeah. But for whatever reason, you've got to take all of your work with you. <laughs> all of your books, this podcast, your writing, your blog, like everything you've written or done audio or video goes with you to the next place. But you get to leave behind three things you know to be true about the lessons you've learned in your life that you'd like to share with the world. I call it the three truths. Uh-huh. What would you say would be your three truths? I think it's all okay. <laughs> it's all okay. It's all okay. Um, I would say, you know, don't worry, be happy. Yeah. And uh, uh, just trust in your own, trust in yourself. You know, really find your own light. Yeah. Wise words from a wise man. Um, I want to acknowledge you, Dr. Wow, for the consistent relentlessness you have towards finding the information and providing it for us to find healing within ourselves. Yeah. I think uh, the world is better for, for you in it, for teaching us things and bringing us things that we had no idea decades before mm-hmm. for being a trailblazer in this space. And uh, I really acknowledge your openness, your honestness, your realness. And I appreciate you, you showing up today and, and providing this with our audience. Yeah, uh, thanks. I, I really enjoyed meeting you and talking with you. Yeah, of course. Uh, I want people to uh, check out your work. They can go to matcha.com if they want matcha. I'm going right. to be getting some matcha there as well. You're all over social media, Dr. Uh, Weil. Uh, it's drwild.com as That's well. That's my, my website, which has a great deal of health information. Tons there. of great content right. and resources and blogs yep. and articles, which has been extremely informative for me. Uh, Dr. Weil everywhere on Instagram and yeah, and check out the um, the University of Arizona uh, website too, which is integrativemedicine.arizona.edu. Okay, and among other things, there there's a find a practitioner link, so you can find one of our graduates. Uh, we have graduates in all states and a lot of places who are doing integrative medicine. So if someone's dealing with pain or Anything. Illness or anything. anything they can yeah. go to the website and they can find a practitioner. Yeah, in, in a specialty that's relevant to And they've gone through your program at the university. very intensive training, yeah. How long is that training? Two years. Two years. Yeah. And these are already medical doctors? Medical who've doctors who've completed residencies, <clears throat> yeah. So they've gone through the traditional medical school of five years? Four, four years, years plus, plus eight, a, four more years. Usually a three-year residency and then a fellowship and a specialty. So eight years at least. Then they've gone to your program right. for two years. So they yeah. have 10 years yeah. of medical training right. from functional to integrative yeah. medicine. Yeah. And so they're more uh, evolved, hopefully, and yeah. more in tune yeah, with Yeah, yeah. They've the got this philosophy modalities. that the body can heal itself and that right. you know, all these different modalities are available. And there's 3,000 of them yeah. around the world. Right. A lot in the U.S., but we've got people in, in many countries now, and it's a real movement that's building. And so they can go there. They can it tell them how to contact yes, and reach yes, out yes. based on location and yes. everything. Um, You've got tons of great books. Is there anything else that we can support you with in this moment? Oh, no, but that's plenty. <laughs> a lot of good that's stuff on your stuff. website, but uh, matcha.com. I'm excited to check this yeah, out. Yeah, we'll get you some of the good stuff. Of course, of course. Um, okay, this is my final question for you. What's your definition of greatness? Of greatness? 
Uh, I think whatever resonates with truth. There you go. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I hope it was helpful for your health, your mind, your body, and your soul. If you enjoyed it, please spread the message of greatness to a few friends. You can text them. You can post it on social media. You can email them. You can just call them up and say, hey, check out this episode on the School of Greatness with Dr. Andrew Weil. Whatever you got to do, spread the message of positivity forward so we can keep changing lives together. Use the link lewishouse.com slash 1108 or just copy and paste this link wherever you're listening to this and post it all over on social media and make sure to tag me and dr andrew wow as well if this is your first time here welcome to the community of greatness if you want to continue to be uplifted and inspired by some of the best in the world on how to improve the quality of your life then click the subscribe button over on apple Podcasts or spotify right now or wherever you're listening to this podcast and stay subscribed for all the amazing guests we have coming each week and if you want to be inspired every week via text message to be constantly motivated and held accountable on your dreams and your goals through text communication, then text the word podcast right now to 614-350-3960. And I want to leave you with a quote from the Buddha who said, to keep the body in good health is a duty. Otherwise, we shall not be able to keep our mind strong and clear. It's our job to continue to improve the quality of our body and our health. We have tools. The tools are available for us. It's time that we make conscious decisions to improve the quality of our life. It's not easy. It's challenging to stay consistent. But that's why it's important to have accountability, to have tools like this podcast, to have friends to support you, and to have goals that you can aim towards. And I want to remind you, if no one's told you lately, that you are loved You are worthy and you matter. And you know what time it is. It's time to go out there and do something great. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. I've learned the hard way that constantly holding on to your emotions and repeatedly choosing to not talk about your feelings will only make you feel worse and worse. And up until about 10 or 11 years ago, I was afraid to talk about my trauma that I experienced. And I know we all carry around different stressors, big and small. And when we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. But therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. And if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to fit your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Lewis today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash L-E-W-I-S.